Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue on uh, from our thoughts that I was having. I, I just had so much material left from the autonomy of the local church, and I think that it's definitely something that is lacking within local churches. They don't understand what a church really is and how it's supposed to operate. And so that's why I thought it would just be very important for us to continue uh, talking about this. Uh, remember last week, what we were doing is we were talking about the four human forms of church government. There's got to be a way that the church functions. You can't just everybody come in and just do what's right in their own eyes. You've got to have a, a system that works. And now the thing is, what system is that? Uh, how do you make that work within a local context? And so that's really our, our battle. Uh, we looked at the first type is that we looked at the papal system. Uh, this, of course, is the, the system that is developed through the Roman Catholic Church. We know that that system started because of the, uh, the adding of governmental authority to the leadership of the church. Uh, that's, what, that's where we get the idea of a state church. A state church comes because the government took over the church and used someone from within the church to begin to rule uh, within the church and, and exercise authority. Uh, not just, well, it's, you know, we're supposed to have executive power, but it also gave them legislative power. And that is an issue, and that's not something the church is supposed to have. We can execute that which is already given to us, but we can't legislate new things, you know, and that's what you see within the papal system. Uh, they, because of the government authority, they not only executed things, but they also legislated, and that is a big problem within the local church today. And so, or within the church government, it's not local. This, this form of church is universal, so what they believe is the word Catholic really means universal. So when they're talking about the church, they're talking about they are the church. They don't recognize you as a part of the church. Uh, you have to be a Catholic to be a part of the church. Uh, and so that's the way their, their mentality is. Now, I don't think that many, uh, maybe members of the Catholic church understand all of that, as many of them are Christmas and Easter, and that's, they call themselves non-practicing. Uh, but uh, the, the structure within itself, the government, the bishops, they understand that. They believe that they are the church. And that's why when a pope dies, they vote in another pope, which is another apostle, just like what happened with Judas. And they replaced Judas with Matthias. And Peter was there, and they cast lots. And they've been doing that ever since, every time a, an apostle died. When Peter died, they added another one. And then after that, another one. So they look at Peter as the first pope all right? And so we know that's not true. That's not a scriptural form of government. Uh, that was something that, that came into being because of governmental uh, interference. And that's why one of the distinctives of the Baptist churches is separation of church and state. We don't believe that we ought to have legislative powers to now place a, a legislative uh, requirement on people that's outside of scripture. And that's exactly what happened there. And so it's, it's very dangerous. Uh, we looked at last week on what constituted an apostle. Can somebody give me quickly what the three things that an apostle needs to have in order to be qualified as an apostle? Pardon me? A witness of the, of the resurrected Christ. What else? Pardon me? Chosen and sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. And one other one. Yes, Kyle. Signs and wonders would always validate the message of the apostle. And we know that that was also pre-prophesied by Jesus Christ in the book of Mark. 
He said, these signs will follow them, all right? He was setting up the apostles for, for credibility. That's what he was doing. And so when they read the Gospel of Mark, they understood now that these men are credible because Jesus Christ himself said this is what was going to happen. So it's not something that he said in Mark that now says all the churches ever throughout time are going to, this is what's going to follow them. And that's why I said last week, the snake handlers and stuff, take that, you know, the serpent will bite them, they will not die. And, and I, I don't know if you guys saw that video of that pastor that was handling a snake and it bit him and he thought his faith would save him and he gave the snake aside and he was just bleeding profusely out of his ear or I don't know where it bit him, but he was sent to the hospital and he died. And so that is not a sign that will follow them. Well, and if that's a sign, then you're obviously not one of those that Jesus was talking about. And so, no, that's not what it is. He was trying to validate the, the authority of the apostle. The apostles were given to give us the foundation of the New Testament church, which is the epistles of the word of God. This is what it's all about. There's no other thing that the apostles really were doing other than establishing the word of God because they did not have it in, in written down form at this time. It was all given orally or by, they call it by tradition. And that's why in 1 Thessalonians, which is an early book of the Bible, it says, hold to the traditions. Now, I also know that within the Catholic religion, they take that verse to mean, now, anything that's passed down to you from, from your leaders or from uh, mystic nuns or whatever, you have to take that as, as scripture. And that's not what it means. A tradition is that which is passed down from the apostles, given verbally not through the scripture. And so when the scripture came about, now you no longer need just a verbal uh, doctrine. It's already laid down, and that's when the door of the apostle closed. And when, when, when you had the word of God, you don't need the apostle anymore. The foundation of the church had been laid, and that is the scripture, all right? And so now what we're doing as a pastor, I don't have the authority of an apostle. I don't necessarily want it. And the fact of the matter, if I had it, I wouldn't need it because there's no purpose for it. The, what I do as a pastor and evangelist and teachers, we are building upon the foundation that's already been laid and is already solidly given to us. Amen? So to, for someone today to claim to be an apostle is someone to say that we're, we're once again laying foundation. And that's exactly what happens within these movements. They begin to give new and extra biblical revelation. They begin to say, this is what God told me. And over and over you hear that. What they're really doing is laying more foundation that churches have to obey them. But it's not written in any book. It's just, and now we're back to oral tradition again. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not the way God planned this to be. He, he gave the office of an apostle for a short time so that we could get the word of God. And from that point on, apostles and prophets no longer have uh, an authoritative office within the local church. Now we have pastors and teachers and for the perfecting of the saints, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, all right? And so we have to know this. If we don't, people are going to talk to us, and they're really going to hornswoggle you. You know, they're going to, they're going to deceive you into believing something that isn't true. And you need to say, no, no, that's not the truth. In fact, I heard already from that message, no, they don't believe, they, they believe in apostles, someone that had visited. And folks, it's just not true. There are no apostles today. Uh, you know, there's one church, I remember we were picking, picking up some pews from a church, or we were looking at some pews in a church in Kenora, and it was an apostolic church, which means that they have an apostolic position. And they had that little, that little uh, bookmark I saw in one of the pews, 
and it showed a picture of this one man. It said the chief apostle. And I thought, man, that is just so anti-scriptural. Like even the one that I would consider the chief apostle, the Paul, said I'm the chiefest of sinners and I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. And so just the spirit itself is so different uh, today than what the apostles truly had in their heart back then. Uh, I mean, I'm surprised that people fall for this stuff. But uh, there is no apostolic office today, and those three signs have to be there. And you can kind of fake some healings and stuff like that, but I'm sorry, you're no apostle. Uh, there's a way to heal. The, the scriptures lay that out in James chapter 5. Now we don't cast shadows and they can walk across our shadow. We don't slap them on the head. In James chapter 5, it says, Call the elders of the church, and they will anoint you with oil. It's not a show. It's not something you put on to, to pump people up. It's something you do for that specific person so that they can find God's will for their life, whether it's to be sick or whether it's to be healed. And many times it's because we've had sin in our life. And that's why it says confessing your faults one to another, dealing with the sin in your life. And that way when we anoint you with oil, which is an event that takes place within that context, now you know I've dealt with my sin. Anything that I think could have contributed to maybe this punishment or chastisement in my life, and then the Lord will take it away because I've dealt with the sin. Now, if, now if there was no sin, it's just simply God's will, well, then I'm going to continue on with the sickness. But then at least I know this is God's will for my life, and I can trust that His grace is sufficient for me, just like the Apostle Paul said about the thorn in his flesh. Amen? And so that's really the whole purpose of healing. Uh, James chapter 5 was given to us so that you would know the will of God. And it would bring you to a place to be in the will of God. And that's why if you do have a sickness and you're not sure what, what's going on there, it may be profitable for you to spend some time in James chapter 5. And I'd ask anybody to do that anyways. They anoint me with oil. I say, well, I'll read James chapter 5. Take some time. Get with the Lord about that. Uh, confess your sins. Deal with those issues. You know, and because that's the first thing I'll ask you. Have you gone to the Lord and dealt with anything in your life that may be left unresolved and so forth? Because that may be why the Lord is allow this sickness in your life and if you have well then let's see whether that was the reason and we anoint with oil if he heals you well then of course we know that you've dealt with everything you need to deal with you can go on praising god in the will of god amen but either or uh it's not through an apostle not through the laying on of hands not through uh healing services i'm sorry that is not i mean you can do it in a service if you want to but and there's no healing within a man there are no faith healers today, but there is faith healing. Amen. I'm not a faith healer, but the Lord may use me when I anoint you with oil that you be healed, but it didn't come from me. I'm just simply the one that put oil on your head. Amen. There's nothing special about me that way. It's just you simply followed the scripture and doing what the Bible said to do and calling the elders of the church. And we've done that. Even here, we've done that a couple of times already in, in Airdrie. Uh, I haven't seen anybody healed here, but I have seen people healed in the past. And, you know, it's just, well, that's what God does. It's his business. I'm not going to make it bigger than it is. That's up to them. It's, it's about their life. Amen. And then you just move on. You just praise God for what he has done. And so the apostles, you got to remember as well in the first century that there were many warnings concerning false uh, prophecies and false apostles. So you think within the first 100 years or less than 100 years, 70, 60 years, there are already major problems with false apostles. 
Uh, you look at Revelation 2, 2, the church at Ephesus says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. So obviously there's tests here that you can apply to people that claim to be apostles as to whether they are or not. And you can be sure it comes from this book. Amen. And so we can do that. You came to be an apostle. Well, then you're opening yourself up for a test. Let us test you on that. Let's see what you know about the scriptures in relation to what an apostle is. Amen. And then we can find them to be liars as well. The Apostle Paul also knew in Acts 20, verse 28, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, talking to the pastors, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. This church is his. He bought it with his blood. Uh, it's not owned by me or you or anybody else. It's not owned by a denomination, this, that, or the other. It is owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's something we have to cherish as, as managers or stewards of something that we don't necessarily own. We're just managing it. Then it goes on to say, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. And so we as preachers, we're constantly watching whether... The people that come in, as nice as they may seem, they may be the nicest people on earth, their dress standards may be good, their haircuts are good, they carry a Bible under their arm. It, that doesn't really tell me whether they're right or not. But if they begin to take people aside to themselves and begin to tell them things that are in opposition to what this doctrine of this church is, now you know what you have is someone that's trying to, wait, to draw away disciples after themselves. And I would just encourage you folks to be careful of that. Because it's not beyond this church. I've seen it already happen here. And I've seen people that have gone and been a part of it, and they didn't even know what was happening. Then I had other people come to me and tell me, you know what, this is what's happening. And so we, I remember one time we got together as men, and I says, guys, this is just what I'm seeing here. I just want to warn you, be careful. I'm not saying go and cause problems with these people. I mean, let, you know, let's pray for them. Maybe God will do something in their life. But as long as we're knowledgeable of what's happening here and not allow them to infiltrate your lives because there's an ulterior motive that, that's involved here. And we've got to be careful about stuff like that. Amen? So we're not just jumping on everybody that you know, maybe have a different opinion. I've had people come in that just dogmatically hated the King James Bible. And why they came to our church, I do not know. But all I know is they came and they wanted to fight about it. And they kept coming to church. I said, okay, we, you're gladly come to church, but we're not going to allow you to fight about the King James Bible here. And that just really got their goat. They wanted to argue and debate. And I said, that's just not up for debate. Uh, it's already in our statement of faith. So why would we debate about that? <laughs> Amen. It's already settled with us. We're not debating about this stuff. And so if you want to come and debate, debate something that we're not settled on. <laughs> Amen. Which you're going to have a hard time finding, by the way. But you know... And so debating is never a way that we look at as a healthy uh, function of discipleship or uh, that's usually the, the, the uh, method of someone that's coming in in a wrong way. Okay? So we don't do that here. I, we won't debate. We're not going to argue about it. I mean, if you come here, you should take a look at the statement of faith first. And if you don't agree with it, then why are you wasting your time and ours? You know? Because we're not changing for you. I'm sorry. No matter how much you cry and blubber about it, we're going to just kind of stay the way we are. Amen? 
All right, and so 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Wow, I think that's happening today. It goes on to say, and, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as a ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Amen. They will, they're going to reveal who they are by what they do, and they will be judged based upon that. Amen. And what a terrible position to be in, someone that's trying to draw people away from the true gospel, from the truth. I wouldn't want to be in those shoes for any amount of money. Amen. Let's just seek after the truth. And so a mark of ministers of Satan is that they transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. These are false apostles. These are deceivers of men to do. Amen. Same with our home. We have our authority in the home. We don't allow sin to dwell underneath that umbrella. Or what we're doing is actually we're, we're, we're further condemning the person underneath that umbrella. We're allowing them to continue in sin and protecting them in their sin. You have to put them out so that God can deal with them so they can get right and get back underneath again. Amen. But never are you meant to stay underneath the protection of God with, with known sin that God is dealing with and you're refusing to deal with it. Amen. Whether it's a local church, whether that's your home, uh, it's both the same. Amen. But we have that precedent set for us in the word of God. And so the papal system is an erroneous system that is built upon lies and deception, folks. There is no doubt about it. Uh, it's not a system you should be involved with. Amen. The second system is this, the Episcopal system. Um, the word Episcopos really means bishop or overseers. And so they, they took the name of the government based upon a function of one aspect of the pastor's office, which is to oversee or to be a bishop or to keep your eye on things. This is one of the first distortions of church government. And you see that in Diotrephes in, in uh, I think it's 2 John, 2 John. And uh, 2 John, of course, is dealing with this man by the name of Diotrephes who abused his position within the, in the church as a leader. And he took it all upon himself. No, no, what you said don't matter. There's no government here. I choose everything. You just come to church and just like what I say. Amen. And like the decisions that I make. Well, that's not our form of government either, but that's the Episcopal uh, form of government. Number two, all decisions are made by bishops or the archbishop. Okay. Uh, this is, um, number three, the, skip, the scriptural bishop is to care for and guide, but not overlord the congregation. Overlord. It's very easy to get an overlording mentality. That's, you know, you're going to pick everybody apart. Folks, there's times I would tell people, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, and I don't tell them that because they, they don't really want me to tell them that. They don't want to know, you know. They want to go about their own way. Uh, you know whether someone's going to listen or not, amen. And usually you should come to your pastor and just ask, and I'll tell you. But folks, can you imagine if I go up to everybody in the church and tell you what I want to see from you every time you're making a decision and so forth? Uh, maybe I, I need to see your work schedules and maybe I need to see uh, you know, when your vacation time is and where you're going and all these. There's pastors that do stuff like that. Uh, folks, I would never do that. That's lording over the heritage of God. 
Uh, I can't dictate whether you're called or not or whether God called you here, there, or the other. My place is to guide you within the process of your calling. Now, you've got to remember, just because you say you're called doesn't mean you are called. And if you are called, the church itself will verify that fact. The church itself. You can't just lone ranger it and say, I'm called and it doesn't matter what you think. The church will recognize your gifting. And it will, be, it, it will be actually exampled or expressed within the local church. And if you're having no gifting expressed within the local church and you're not doing anything or, or stepping up or, or nobody's seeing what God's doing in your life, and then one day you're saying, I'm going to start a church, everybody would say, huh? That's not the way it is. But, that's, you know, but in, within that, I, you know, a pastor has to navigate stuff like that. You know, but I, I'm not a person just that every time somebody says they're called to preach, you're just going to send them out and they're going to go preach. They have to be qualified. And that, that's a serious business, man. You don't put a novice into the ministry, especially within the day and age which we live, where there's so much wickedness and temptation, especially for a prideful young person that really isn't called to preach. Talk about disaster waiting to happen, amen? You've got to be called by the Lord. And so 1 Peter 5, 2, it says... Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of ready mind. That means we're not doing it to get your money. We're not doing it you know, because I have to. You know? I'm doing it because I want to. This is a part of what's in my heart to do. And you know what? It's not about how much money you give me. Uh, sure, we're working towards salaries and stuff like that. But folks, if you wouldn't be, I'd still be doing this. I'd find a way. Amen? And, and sorry for you that God wouldn't bless you because you don't care, you know? But the fact of the matter is you're not going to dictate my calling. i got a calling of God. It's just going to go where it goes, and, and we just got to keep on going. Amen? It doesn't matter what you say about it or what you do. You can pull my paycheck. I heard one guy that, that uh, said that his dad was a preacher, and all the deacons turned on him, and he wanted to build a church house, and, and they said, no, we don't want, and they, they were just happy with us four and no more. And so he would go out every day on his own dime and grab a shovel and he'd start digging. The deacons would come by and they'd be mad. What are you doing? Well, I'm doing what God's called me to do. We need a church house for the people. And it didn't take long after he did that every day. All of a sudden these deacons were under conviction. They realized that we're the ones that are wrong. And they found the stinker that was causing the problems. There's usually one guy that's not right with God in the mix trying to control everything, trying to be the pastor. Amen. I was just really, I was really impressed how that pastor handled things. I said, wow, I would have probably not handled it that nicely, you know. He did, praise the Lord. But it says, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And so you've got to be careful about this. You have no desire to control your life. But I'll tell you something, your example and your, your testimony within this church is important. And if you find yourself here, you need to uphold a godly example to people around you. And if there's something that is not right, that gets put out there, it has to be dealt with within the church. We can see that throughout the Word of God. If you think you can just hide in the church with your sin, it's just not possible. Amen. You have to deal with your stuff, amen? And that's where a, a pastor will try to help you with that and try to help you to deal with that. Now, if you refuse, then it gets to a different level, we know from the Scriptures. Nobody wants to do that. You give them an opportunity to get things right, amen? But you're never lording over. You're never dominating a person, you know. 
And so I'm very much, I want people to fulfill their calling. If you're called, I want you to fulfill that. But the church will recognize it. I will definitely see it. And you know what? And if, and if it's real, God will provide a way. And your faith will be understood. It will be seen by people. Because that's what it's going to take, man. Faith. You've got to have your paycheck before you leave. I'm sorry, you'll never go. <laughs> you know? That's just the way it is. And so... Um, the forcing of the foundation for such usurping of authority is once again a misunderstanding of apostolic authority. It's saying that somehow we're bearing this apostolic position over the church and we, we can exercise this and dominate uh, the churches. Uh, well, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, uh, the, the Apostle Paul was giving his heart on, on churches. It says, besides those things which are, that are without, that which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches. And so with the Apostle Paul, it was, it was a deep care and a burden that was on his heart that he wanted to help these churches, amen? It was never a dominating attitude or I'm the boss around here, you need to listen to me type of thing. That's never the right attitude for any pastor or preacher or whatever. Uh, but you know, there is scripture that tells you how to operate within a leadership position of the church, amen? Number five, this form of government gives way to pride and self-exaltation. And that's where the Bible says in Romans 12, 3, for, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Amen. So every one of us, God is building our faith and he's granting you the ability to grow and have more faith. And what you need to do is, is recognize what God has allowed you to do and work within that parameter. Amen. And realize this is what God has done. It's not what I'm doing. God has given me the ability to be a good usher or a good teacher or whatever. But it's not because I'm great. And we ought not think more highly than we ought to about ourselves. Amen. Um, A.H. Strong from Systematic Theology it says, it should be the ambition of the pastor not to run the church, but to teach the church intelligently and scripturally to manage its own affairs. The word minister means not master, but servant. The individual Christian should be taught, number one, to realize the privilege of church membership. Number two, to fit himself to use his privilege. And number three, to exercise his rights as a church member. Number four, to glory in the New Testament system of church government and to defend it and propagate it. Amen? Yeah. you got to get behind that. Not this government, not the abusive government, but the government that is congregational. It's based on a democracy. Amen? Uh, letter C. Is that the best government, democracy? No. You know what the best one is? Theocracy. Yeah. And so the church is the only place that theocracy can meld with democracy if we do it right. You see? Now, the government is democracy. It surely isn't theocracy. <laughs> but the church is even a better form of government. We have democracy, but we also have a theocracy. We're allowing Christ to become the head of the church, and we are within that mind of Christ because we all have the Spirit of God. We're making decisions together, allowing Christ to work through us to vote on things and different things like that because we have the same mind. And that's why there's nothing wrong with having a 100% vote every time uh, when we have a meeting. If it's 50-50, then i got to wonder, what kind of church do we have? <laughs> we, need, we need to fix something around here. Amen? Uh, then there's the Presbyterian system. 
This form of government is when a council of elders rather than one man has the authority over the churches. The church is given some voice over some matters. It seems to be a mixture between the Episcopalian and the congregational governments. So it's kind of a mixed type of thing. Uh, so in the scripture, you have the mention of presbyteries. Uh, you, it, it can mean a body of Jewish elders in Luke chapter 22, verse 66. And as soon as it was the day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying... So they were, they were operating in, in, a, in a manner where they were governing. And that word elder means presbytery. That's, that's where the word comes from. Uh, Acts chapter 22, 5, it says, And also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, for whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus, and on and on it goes. And so the elders, that's the presbytery. So what you're looking at is you're looking at a group of, of preachers. And so many times, and we'll look at this, I don't want to get ahead of myself. The next point, so basically a presbytery can be called a uh, group of people compiled by the church to lay their hands on somebody. So many times what happens is you have an ordination, let's say I as a pastor within this church recognize that someone here is called of God and they're being sent out, the church recognizes that as well. So what I may do is call several preachers in and we will have an ordination council. And we'll, we'll make sure that this guy's right with the Lord and they got the right answers to the right questions. And uh, during that process, we'll find out whether this person is ready to go out. And if they are, then, the, then this presbytery uh, lay hands on this individual and pray over him that God would grant him what he needs to be to be a preacher of the gospel as they send him out. Amen. But you've got the minds of many preachers. It's not an authoritative thing over the church or anything else. It's just a way to verify the calling of an individual where you have more than one mind on it. Amen. And so you see that in 1 Timothy 4.14, it says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with a laying on of hands of the presbytery. And so that's what happened. They laid their hands on him. And of course, he, uh, I, I believe as well that men are gifted for the ministry. They are given a gift. If you don't have a gift, then you shouldn't be a pastor, amen? Uh, if you've got a gift of doing one thing and it has nothing to do with pastoring, then maybe you shouldn't pastor because God will give you the necessary gifts that you need to pastor a church, you know? I mean, you can be a good or a bad one or a mediocre one, but you do have the gift, and it's up to us to, like, like he asked uh, Timothy, neglect, don't neglect that gift. And stir up the gift is another passage. You've got to stir that up. Because it can become cold if your mind and heart are, aren't right, or you're becoming bitter and angry at the people, or, or somehow people have hurt you or your family, and, and so your gift, your gifting is not as seen anymore. And so you stir up the gift, get back on track again, and, and lead the way that God's gifted you to lead. Amen? And that was given through the presbytery, through their, through their authorization. Amen? And so that's a wonderful thing. So this would be an ordination council that would pray over a man being sent out into the ministry. The local church's authority is relinquished within the, the presbytery system to a national church, which consists of representatives from each church of whom are elected one president to reside over that, that church for a certain period of time. And so that, just not in scripture, that's man-made and that's not the way God runs his church. There's no national church, all right? We believe in local New Testament churches. It's great sometimes when you think of that, man, you look at all these, or, these denominations and these different things. 
if they need a church building, man, they just get together, everybody sends them money, and wouldn't that be great? Well, it wouldn't be great if you give up your autonomy uh, as a local New Testament church. I'd rather fight for the money and let God provide for it, amen, than having to compromise our form of government uh, for the money. But that's many times how they get them, you know? It's about this. We can get more money this way. We can get the buildings. We can get what we need. I think a church needs to go through the growing pains. I think we need to know what it feels like to, to fight to make something happen. You know, I've never been in a church yet where it didn't happen that way. In Kenora was the same thing, man. I stood in front of councils and, and people that were much, much fiercer than the ones we had here. That was a much more different, I was much more alone <laughs> than, I was, than I am here, you know. And so that's just part of the growing pains. That's part of what God requires us to do. We have to get into these situations, and then, yes, you will have to face the opposition because you're really establishing a lighthouse. You're really going against the whole current of the world. And you can be sure if there's worldly people on councils and so forth, the devil is going to work in their hearts to go against you for whatever reason they come up with. It doesn't really matter what reason. He just wants them to oppose you. Amen? But you go forward in faith, trusting God, and that's what we've done, and the Lord has opened up the doors for us. That, my friend, is local church autonomy. We don't need no big boss man calling from the denominational head, sending us a million dollars to make it happen. We would not have grown the way that we did this year if that's what would have happened. Amen? Amen? That stretches us. makes us stronger, at least for me. I don't know about you, but my goodness, man. Oh, anyways. (laughs) So there's no evidence in Scripture to support the idea of another church infringing upon another, even in a good sense. Whenever this did transpire, it was a work of false workers. It was Judaizers trying to enforce the law of Moses into a Gentile assembly. Never do you have a positive time where they actually intruded into a church to make something happen we're going to look at at a certain situation here in acts chapter 15 uh, and it'll explain to us uh, what the real uh, relationship ought to be so now the final one is the congregational system now this is what we are we're based on a congregation the new testament knows but one form of church government and that is the simple congregational form It is evident that all New Testament churches were independent, local, self-governing bodies from the action of which there was no appeal. appeal. These churches were small democracies complete in themselves. They were vested with executive powers, but not legislative powers. So we have all kinds of power to execute things, to do things. And the Lord gives us that, that power to do that. But we're never given the power to legislate, write new laws, you know, to govern the church. Everything we need to govern the church is already in the book. Yeah. Amen. So what do we need? New laws. <clears throat> now, I may, I may apply practical um, application to some of those things. So let's say there's a Sunday school teacher and I have to make a policy to make sure that our Sunday school teachers are qualifying for that position. And I'm the one who has that. I'm the one who has to come up with that because every teacher here is an extension of my ministry. I'm the teacher here. I'm the pastor. And so every teacher that teaches here has to reflect what I say. And so you can't just come here and say, I'm just going to do this. I don't care what the preacher says. Well, you're out of there, buddy. <laughs> That's all there is to it. The first time I hear something opposite, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, you're done. 
because you, you're not a, on your own here. You're not a lone ranger. You're not someone that just takes up the mantle and draws disciples after yourselves. You're an extension of the teaching ministry of this church, which is the pastor's ministry. That's the one I've been ordained and called of God to, to do. And I believe that you could be called of God to be a Sunday school teacher, but that's underneath the leadership of your pastor. Amen. But never on your own. Never where, oh, I'm just as called as you are. Well, be careful of the leprosy that might hit your arm and you have to spend seven days outside the camp. Amen. I'm just as important as you. It's not about importance. It's about whether God called you there or not. Yep. When you start stepping higher than you're supposed to step, God deals with that because he wants to protect his people. Amen. And so, so the congregational government is made up of saved, baptized individuals <clears throat> of all which can make decisions in the church of course uh, we don't we allow children to be members but they can't vote until they're 18 and so when you're 18 then you can vote and have a part of the decision making process that's just the way we do things amen uh, for this to happen that necessitates church membership it, 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 I, we have to know that those voting and making decisions under the headship of christ in this local assembly have the same mind as us and you can't just let anybody come in and start voting because there's a lot of people coming in that don't have the same mind. And you'll see that very clearly if, if we start opening up our meetings for anybody to say whatever they want. No, no, in a meeting that is, that is the church's meeting, only a member has even the uh, ability to speak and take the floor. You got to be a member because you, you are, uh, you're reflecting the mind of that church. You're in agreement with the doctrines. You've said, yes, I've agreed with these doctrines. And so now you're qualified to stand up and say some things because I know you're not going to say something against the doctrines that you say you hold. But it happens all the time, folks. I've had people that, yeah, oh, yeah, and, and it didn't take long. Also, within a year, they're saying things opposite of what's our statement of faith. I'm saying, you're the deceiver. I'm not. I came eyes wide open. I came arms extended. I was, I, I was ready to embrace you. But you're the one that held back your false doctrine or your, uh, your other doctrine. And you, until now, when you were supposed to be in agreement with us, now as a member, you're going to reveal that you're not in agreement? You're the one that doesn't have integrity. That's why I give everybody that becomes a member, I give them a statement of faith and constitution, and you will not become a member until you tell me you've read that thing and you accept it. Accepting means that not necessarily that you agree yet because you don't even know a lot of people that come into church they don't even understand sometimes half the things that the statement of faith says but what you're doing is you're saying maybe i don't understand enough to agree with all of it but i accept all of it and if you don't accept it then you shouldn't be a member amen so you're you're accepting of that doctrine is saying i'm working towards understanding it so i can positively agree in my mind because how can you agree if you don't know amen so that's the wording that we use and i'll give you a membership form and the form is did you read it yes do you accept it <laughs> and you read on there yes and i put that in the file a year down the road you say well i don't believe in that well sorry i got your paper and your signature right there you do you're obligated you're obligated to follow that and if not then you're the one that's wrong amen and so <clears throat> that, that, um, that unity of mind is so vital. It's so vital for the church to be kept pure. And that's why you need that for the congregational style of government. 
you know, just like you've got to be a citizen of Canada to vote in Canada. What if they let anybody in the world come vote in Canada for who our leader is? There's always parameters and boundaries for how you operate. Amen? One day they're going to open up to the world. Everybody in the world can, uh, wow. When it gets to that point, I don't think they're interested in your vote anymore. And so a Baptist distinctive is also one is that we believe in a saved, baptized church membership. You've got to be born again. You've got to show evidence of that. And you have to be scripturally baptized. And if you're scripturally baptized and you're born again and you're in right standing where you're not doing anything that's really crazy, you know, you can be brought into membership. Doesn't mean you're perfect. You got problems. Everybody does. You know, but you're facing the right direction. You're walking the right way. You know, you're not causing problems. And so it's also based on unity of doctrine. And so that's so vital. That's why I make a big deal about that. And sometimes people don't understand. Folks, it's like having a country without a constitution. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, whatever is governing this nation. We make a big deal when it comes to COVID and, hey, the constitution, constitution. You go into the local church. We don't need anything out here. Come on, man. Everything that, that needs leadership needs boundaries. That is just fundamental leadership. You cannot lead something without boundaries. Amen. You can agree with that or not, but I'll, I'll tell you something. You, you, try to, you try to get involved with anything in this world, even down to the soccer club. <laughs> and you say, I don't want any boundaries around here. And they'll say, well, then go to a different soccer club. Everything has a boundary. And local church, the light of the world, the one that our testimony is so vital, you can be sure that that is something that's important to us and to the Lord. Amen? Uh, so... Christ in this, in this form of government. Matthew 20, verse 25, But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes in, of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. And so he's, he's saying this is what happens in the world. They exercise this great authority. But he says, But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. You understand that? So that's where we got the word minister from. We don't use that a whole lot around here. It's mostly just pastor. But a minister is a servant. It's not someone that's supposed to exercise his power over your life, even though we do have authority within the local church. But it's not something that we're going to wield around so we can get what we want. It's something so that we can keep purity within the boundaries of this church. Amen? And so, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. So, I mean, if you want a position in the church and you're not serving, I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. And number one, you shouldn't want a position in the church. You should just simply want to serve. And as you serve, the Lord will give you the position if he feels that you have the longevity to hold that position and be a light within that platform that he's giving you. But it's not just a position to give, like, oh, could you please take this? I know preachers that have done that. And I've told them, you're doing wrong. Well, I just need someone to fulfill this deacon's position. I said, <laughs> let the Lord fill the, the position with the one that he sees fit as they show themselves as men of God and men of integrity and humble men. Not these power mongers and looking for position. Lord, save us from that. Amen. I don't like that at all. And there's people that constantly, they want to do this. They want to do that. Oh, let me do this. And 
It's always about let me do this. And instead of just coming and say, is there anything I can do for you? Is there any service that I can do within this ministry to help it? What's hard, so what's so hard about that? But usually it's not that. It's usually, I want to do this part. And then if you don't choose them, they get mad and disgruntled at you. Well, I'm glad you got mad and disgruntled because you showed me who you are and you'll never have that position. And your crying and belly aching isn't going to make it happen. You just really put the nail in the coffin. Amen. Serve. Serve with all of your heart. That's what Christ did. He is our head. Why would we expect to be greater than Jesus Christ who is our head? Amen. Let him be the boss around here. Amen. Matthew 23, 8 to 12, it says, But be ye not called rabbi, for, uh, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. <clears throat> but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. There you are. So if you come and you want this position, say, Pastor, I want to do this, I want to do that. Guess what? At some point, you are going to be embarrassed. It's kind of like Jesus saying, don't go into that, that meeting and take the high seat. Take the low seat. Take the humble seat. And that way, if they, they see you there and, and they feel you're important enough, they will come and guide you to the high seat and they won't take you out of that seat. It's an embarrassing thing to be brought to a seat and then removed because you're not important enough. You know? But that's exactly what happens when you do it yourself. Never self-exaltation. It's never what you want. I never chose this, guys. In fact, at the beginning, I just said, I just want to go dig a ditch somewhere. I'd rather just do sound in the back. The Lord brought me to this position. And he, because he gave it to me, that's why I exercise it. Amen? It's not that I need to be the pastor. I mean, it's just God gave it to me. And he put it in my heart to do it. And if he wants to change it, that'd be great. I mean, I'll do whatever he wants me to do. But the fact of the matter is, this is a God-called position. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Amen? And in this position, I am supposed to serve. And what bothers me the most is when my knee hurts and I can't serve you the way I want to. And you can ask anybody. I talk about it all the time. Frustrated, you know. But I've got to trust the Lord that he's got a purpose in all this. Amen? Call no man father upon the earth. I remember Brother Cook. He's uh, one of my good friends. Uh, he was my teacher in college and, and a preacher and a good man. And he was here at the opening services of our church. And he did the opening meetings for us. And he was a Catholic. And he started reading the Bible. And he went to his, his uh, priest and said, it says not to call any man father on the earth. Oh boy, they didn't want to answer that one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> because it's all about self-exaltation there. Amen? And so what about the apostles? 2 Corinthians 1 verse 24, it says, not for, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. They're helpers. Amen? They were given as helpers to the people of God. That's the mentality. So where's this overlording thing? Where's this controlling thing? You know, Jesus Christ says, uh, the greatest among you is a servant. The apostles say, we're your helpers of your joy. I'm not saying they couldn't exercise authority. In fact, did not Peter say to Ananias and Sapphira, you know, the same men that took your husband out are, are going to take you out? And they fell down dead. But that was the will of God, you know? 
He wasn't doing that because that's what he wanted to do. He knew that's what the Lord was desiring. And a great fear came upon the church. And, and it's also said that the church grew after that because they saw the power of God operate. Amen? Uh, Christ's commissions and keeping of the ordinances were given to the church, not just the apostles. So he didn't just say, go ye apostles. <laughs> like in Ma- Matthew 28, we talked about this last week, where over 500 brethren were there. And he talked to all of them. And he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them <coughs> in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And 1 Corinthians 15, 6, After that he was seen above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. We also see <coughs> that the church was involved in the electing of deacons. The first mention of that is in Acts chapter 6, verse number 3. Uh, the apostles were, were there. They were, they were busy. They got mixed up and doing all kinds of uh, labor in the church when they were supposed to study the scriptures and teach and pray and those kind of things. And so it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So the appointing was still done by the apostles at, the, at that time and the pastor of that church. But the, but the looking out among you was done by the church. Amen? So any deacon that's get, that gets put in a position of that kind of servitude is in agreement, the church is in agreement with. And they came up with seven men and they all agreed. They said, these are good men to do this work. And so that's what they did. Acts 6, 5, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So that's who they chose. So these are good men. We, we see in them the Spirit of God, and, the, and that they're, they're right with the Lord, and they're filled with the Spirit. Amen? And they have wisdom. And so they knew that these be good men. And so what the apostles did at that point is they appointed them. Okay, then we're going to use you guys. And they appointed them to the tasks at hand. And so a deacon is not there to be the boss and the authority over the church. They are there to be servants to the church. The greatest among you. Amen. That we don't see very often either anymore. You know, but that is the scriptural qualifications of a deacon. We also send out missionaries of the local church. In Acts 13, verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. The church was involved. That's why we bring the church into all the missionaries that we take on here. You have, a, you have a, an opportunity to vote and to be a part of bringing on missionary families that we can support and get behind. It's important to be a member, so you can do that. Amen? It's vital. Uh, church discipline matters. 1 Corinthians 5, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with this power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So the ultimate end is you want them to be saved. You want them to be helped. But within the meantime, you have to deliver them so that the Lord can break their will, break their stubbornness, whatever needs to take place, so he can bring them back 
into the fellowship. Amen? Um, Matthew 18, verse 17, it gives you, and starting in verse number 16, it says, if you have a problem with somebody, you ought to go to them alone. You know, it's amazing that people, you know, they got a problem, but they don't go to people alone. They tell everybody else, their whole crowd, everybody they're with, and they, they, they slander and gossip and, and tear down somebody's reputation. When scripturally, if you've got a problem with somebody, you need to go to them alone. Go to them alone. And then if they don't hear you, that's when you bring two witnesses with you. Now, if they don't hear them, you bring it to the church. Now, we've had to do that here. And folks, what the, the issue with this is, notice what it says, if he shall neglect to hear them. It's amazing what happens within a context of church discipline. The ears turn off. They make a notable decision to not communicate with the leadership of the church. And that's the very thing that condemns them. Do you understand? The thing that condemns them is that they will not hear. Not even talking about the sin anymore. Because anybody that's right with God, no matter what they're being accused of, saying, hey, I'm willing to deal with this. Even if it's false, let's deal with it. Let's get to the bottom of it. But man, when there's a cutting off, then you know Satan has gotten so far into this situation where they're not even honoring the scripture anymore. It's satanic. Because rebellion is satanic. And folks, you've got to be careful. When people come to you and they try to drag you into their garbage, they will poison your heart and mind and you just may be condemned with them. And you have nothing to do with it. Just because you're trying to get behind something or maybe this is your friend or your family or whatever it is. Be very careful because this is not just a man or a pastor or somebody with a burr under their saddle. This, my friend, is the church of the living God. It is not taken lightly when we do things like that. That's why we give so much time to it. Amen? And give the church the benefit of the doubt. Who in the world would want to get involved in this stuff? I don't, ever. But you know what? It's put on my shoulders that I have to. That's not fun. You want to be the pastor for a while? I'll choose the time that you could be a pastor at the very right time. I'll say, here, i got some work for you to do. It'll take five minutes to say, Pastor, I'll just go back to doing what I thought so. You don't want that. Everybody wants the glory of it. Hey, preacher, I like it when everybody shakes their hand as they walk out the door. Man, the preaching is the greatest part. <laughs> There's much heavier things that we have to bear. Amen? So please, give, give, just give the benefit of the doubt to the to church leaders. And, and especially if I get the men together and they're all in agreement. Like, come on, I'm brainwashing all of them. Boy, I'm really good at it, I guess. Maybe they got the Holy Spirit too. Amen? Amen? And when you know that the pastor has met with a bunch of men and they're in agreement about it, don't play with God. You just make sure you're right with the Lord and you, and you hear them. Hear them. You say we're not going to say anything. You've just worked on the devil's side to condemn the guilty. Wow, serious stuff, amen? You don't do stuff like that. Scriptures are addressed to the churches, not the leaders. Sometimes he says, dear Timothy, or so forth, they're talking to Timothy. But you know something? Most of the scripture to the church at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, you know, always talking to the church. 
The church is involved. It's congregational. The church members are witnesses of the truth and the power of God. You know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.14, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. There's a responsibility of behavior that everybody within this church has before the Lord. Because of what we are before God. Amen? This isn't just a group. This isn't just like a book club. This isn't just a put-together thing, man. This is heavenly. This is something that God has placed on earth, and you can't treat it like, it's, like you treat your whatever club. And, you know, oh, I just quit. And Well, sure, you can, quit. you can quit going to school. You can quit your soccer. You can quit your baseball. You can quit your book club. You can quit. But, man, you, when you quit the house of a living God, yeah. that's a little different. The serious stuff here. We've got to change our hearts towards this so that God can use us. Lest we start seeing the, the great treasure that He's placed into our hands. This is just something that you can flip off in a second when someone just says the wrong thing. My goodness, you're the one that's not right. I've had people that have hurt me throughout my ministry experience. It's amazing that some people, as soon as somebody thinks that they've been hurt, all of a sudden they're out there drinking, they're dressing like whores, they're, they're acting like wicked people, and yet it's still the pastor's fault. My goodness, man, you're revealing who you are. Yeah. I am still doing what I've always done. Since the Lord called me to preach, I've done this and I will continue to do this. Amen? If you're so right, then prove that you're right by continuing on being what God's asked you to be. But it's never so. You walk away from the church of the living God, you will expose yourself. Amen. I understand if our doctrine goes south, you got my permission to leave. Amen. But that's what it ought to be. It ought to be a doctrinal issue. <laughs> then you got every reason in the world to leave. Amen. But not just because you got a little bent out of shape because someone said this or that or the other. Or they didn't give me that position. Or the pastor's running the, the show. Or the kids of the pastor are running the show. Or da-da-da-da-da. On and on. I've heard every bit of it. I'm going to leave because of that. Well, you're just exposing who you are. You've never seen this treasure that's within your hands. It's easy to leave. Easy, easy. It's not so easy for me. It'd be like tearing apart a piece of plywood. <laughs> you know, that's not so easy. It's like a marriage. That's not so easy. Amen. It's real. It's real. Um, the scriptures show equality for all the church. Everybody gets treated the same. There's no schism in the body. We're all told the same commands. We're all say to put away lying. We're all say to speak every man truth to his neighbor. We've all got those responsibilities before God. Now, I've got to be careful. I'm just more evident. I'm more visible. I'm, they talk about living in the, in the fish, uh, fish bowl, I guess they call it. You know, sure. But you're going to find weaknesses in me, too. And if weaknesses disqualify me, well, then, my goodness, show me in Scripture and I'll, I'll get out of your way. And you can pastor for a while and show everybody exactly how great you are. Amen? <laughs> you understand that. You're going to see weaknesses. 
Anybody that pretends they don't have them is a fool, you know. Well, I'll tell you, I doubt you'll find doctrinal problems. <laughs> and I'll tell you something, methodology, I've tried to stay clear with all the methodology of the church and to practice what the scripture says, even with all the curveballs that are thrown at me sometimes. And there's a lot of them. Because, I mean, scripturally, just, oh, this is the way it should be. You go to that person, they say this. They, da, 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 da. That's not the way it is. You go to that person, and all of a sudden, this person turns against you, and this family goes, and all of a sudden, everything goes sideways, and you've got to kind of operate within this dynamic. It's not, it's, sometimes it's not easy to figure out. But you always got to go back to the scriptural mandate. This is okay. We've got to make sure we allow this and allow that. Give them opportunity for this and so forth. No matter how involved you are in the process, no matter how evil they've spoken of you, you've got to always go back to the Scripture. That's your protection. That's where I'm protected. That's where you're protected. Amen? And that protection is for all of us. So if you want to be protected and all these things you go through, you just go to the Scripture and say, this is the way I'm going to do it. If there's someone that has sinned against you, you go to the Bible and you find the way to do it, and that's the way you operate. Amen? Sometimes you're careful. It says, reprove not a scorner, lest they bring you shame. So sometimes I've learned that it's not worth reproving somebody. Now, at that point, they're already out of the church. Because I'm not going to let a scorner stay within the membership. But, you know, sometimes you say, well, they're not right. Why don't you go over there? Because if I do that, they're going to spend the next six months trying to destroy our ministry. So sometimes you just got to let them go. Scorners. <laughs> Have you ever tried that? Reproving a scorner? <laughs> I have. <laughs> and you learn right away is that sometimes you just don't do it. And the only reason you do do it is if, if it brings warning to the simple. A scorner does not change. They're not also going to come to an epiphany and get right with God. A scorner is the ultimate end of a really bad decisions in a person's life. Yeah. But you know where you start? You start as a simple man, simple woman. That means naive. You don't know. So it's sometimes you have to reprove a scorner for the sake of the simple. But if there's no simple there and all you're doing is dealing with the scorner, you just say, Lord, they're your business. I'm not going to risk the, you know, us being destroyed by the scorner if, if, there's not, if it's not helping anybody. Yeah. Amen. You know what I mean? But if there's a simple person there that you, I can save this person, either they're going to be led astray because the next step with a simple person, a naive person, is, is one of two ways. You either become a fool or you become wise. And if you become a fool, now you're on the direction to become a scorner because you refuse instruction. Now I'm not listening to you anymore. But a wise person loves reproof. Please tell me, preacher, what I need to do. They don't get offended at that. You get offended at what the preacher says. It's just showing that you're, you're foolish. I'm not saying you're a total fool, but you may just be foolish. Amen? Maybe you need to make a decision. Back up. Go back to be naive and go back to being... And make a decision to become wise. Amen? Be wise. Anyways. Um, I, I got so many things. That we've gone over time already. Let's bow our heads. <laughs> Very deep stuff when you start looking at the local church and how we're supposed to operate within it. And I'm hoping I'm not stumbling anybody here, but this is important. And this is meat of the word. This is stuff that you need to say, you know what, this is important stuff. I need to grab a hold of this. I don't mess things up. I need to be a good church member. I need to operate within those boundaries. 
I need to make good decisions. I need to have the mind of Christ in what we do here. I can't just be off on my own and have my own thoughts about everything. Sorry, you're just, the Lord sees that. Please don't allow yourself to be brought out like that. He's not going to let it slide. Allow yourself to be a part of what God's doing here. If you have the same mind, and we have so many here that just think the same way and do the same things. That's what God wants. It brings a good spirit. 